you have your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today. Matthew chapter 6. Is there anyone here who had a 1955 Chevrolet? Anybody ever had a 1955 Chevrolet? All right, there you go. Miss Brenda. That's awesome. George, is that why you... You, you had a 50... Anybody have a 57? Anybody have a 57? Bobby in the back, 57. Those were iconic cars, right? 55 and a 57 Chevrolet, you can still find them. I'm like George. My dad bought me, uh, did a paint job one time, and I ended up, I have a night, well, I used to, 1956 Chevrolet when I was a teenager, all right? So the reason I tell you that is because when we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, everybody remembers chapter 5, and everybody remembers chapter 7. But nobody remembers, or you don't hear too much out of chapter 6. Same thing with 55, 56, and 57 Chevrolets. Everybody knows the 55. Everybody can recognize the 57. But 56 is just kind of stuck in the middle. And I guess because I had a 56, I just, I'm endeared to this chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters. And the reason being is because chapter 6 in the, in the Gospel of Matthew and the, the middle section in the Sermon on the Mount tells us the intent of the Gospel. We're going to be talking about for the next few weeks and over the course of the summer the purpose of our mission in the Gospel. How we are to take the words that we've already been given. Remember chapter 5 deals with our inside and our outside. So chapter 5 dealt with our attitudes, thus the Beatitudes, and then dealt with our actions and how we were supposed to follow the law and how we were supposed to even go further than that, how we were supposed to live above and beyond. So chapter 6, as we start right here, starts a new section or a new portion of the Sermon on the Mount, and it deals with the intent of the gospel, what we're supposed to do when we have the Word of God richly inside of us. It says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the divisions of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is the center or core of what we're going to be looking at. God doesn't look out on the outside. God looks on the inside directly at our heart. We think we can fool God. But we cannot fool God because God is not looking at all this fluff that's going on. God's looking richly at our heart to find out why we're doing it. So in every single thing that we look at over the next few weeks and throughout the summer, I want you to strip away all the stuff and the fluff. And I want you to start asking yourself some sincere questions. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why am I saying what I'm saying? Why am I living what I'm living? Because you need to answer these questions at the very center of your life, at your heart, at the very core of who you are. Why do we do what we do? And as we evaluate every portion of that, which this particular part of the Sermon on the Mount deals with, we're going to have to examine every aspect of our lives. All right? So it says this in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. The first thing it does in chapter 6 is give us a warning. <laughs> All right. So there, there's a new series that has come out on Netflix. 
I haven't watched it yet, but but tomorrow and my mother-in-law were binge-watching yesterday. What is it? What was Lost in Space? Do y'all remember Lost in Space, the old TV show? What was what was the robot? What what did the robot say to Will Robinson? Danger, Will Robinson, danger. Do you remember the arms flapping all around, all over the place? Anytime that Will Robinson was in danger, the robot came out and started saying, warning, warning, don't do that. You ever gone in the monster plantation at Six Flags? Yeah. Y'all ever been there? What does it say in the, when you're going into the monster? Well, don't go there, don't go that way. Y'all are not following my jokes. Laughing makes you go quicker. You can get out of here. I know they're pretty corny this morning. But look, we, we miss our warnings all the time, right? As soon as that animatronic set tells us not to go into the monster plantation, what does our boat do? Takes us right there. That's exactly what we do. We go to the places because we think we want to live on the edge. We want to test the bounds of what's going on. This particular portion right here, we're given a dire warning. Not to practice our righteousness before men in, a such a, in such a way that it's going to bring notice to us. So here's the big deal. The warning is the big show or a spectacle that we make equals no reward and leaves everybody skeptical. Why is our faith in such a, a, a state today? It's because when we go out to a concert, we see all the lights and all the all the things that go on there, and we want to recreate that inside the church because we think that that kind of show will draw everybody in. Well, we're not here to create a show atmosphere. We're here to create a place of worship for us to be able to come and honor God. Now, I'm not saying that you can't do that with lights because I've done worship services with lights and stuff before. It's okay. But what I'm saying is, is it doesn't need to be a show. We're not in competition with the world. We're trying to be faithful to our God. And so when we're doing that, it's not about a show here. It's not about a performance. It's not about a preacher who gets up and walks around. It's not about me wanting to stand in front of a group of people and talk all the time. It's none of that. It's us taking God's word, breaking it down so that we might be able to live more faithful in our walk more righteous in our daily endeavors in this world, to take the gospel to people, to tell them and share them, with them the good news so that they might see that as an example. It's not a show. It's something for us to do out of faith and out of reverence and out of honor for God. Amos, wow. You know, I never got this. When I went to seminary, one of my classes that I had to study was the book of Amos, Okay. And I was like, why in the world do they pick out the book of Amos in seminary class and make me go through and do a class where I study Amos? In the New Testament, it was Romans. I was like, I get Romans, but why am I doing a class on Amos? Why? Because Amos cuts right to the core. Let me tell you what was going on. In that day and age, the people of Israel, God's people, were just a bunch of religious fluff. They were following a bunch of laws and they weren't faithful in who they were to God. It was all show. It was a spectacle. They were doing it because somebody told them they had to do it or they'd been passed down to them the way that they were supposed to do it and they were just going through the motions. And look what God says through, the, through Amos to them in chapter five. He says in verse 21, I hate and reject your festivals. 
nor do I delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, and I will not even look at the peace offerings of your fatlings. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not even listen to the sound of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness, like an ever-flowing stream. What happens to the people of God after this? They go into captivity. When our faith when is hollow, when our worship is a show, then there is no, there's no substance. There's no sustenance to who we are as the people of God. And that is easily seen by God. The world may look at it and say, hey, this is great. You guys look awesome. This is all wonderful. But God looks directly and intently at our heart. And he gives us a big warning. Christ gives us a big warning in his longest sermon and says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men so that you might be noticed. And then he goes on and says this. So when you give to the poor, in verse 2, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The first thing that he deals with is our giving. Now, why in the world does he deal with our giving first and foremost? Because we're going to get into this a little bit more later. But we look at money and see that as something that brings prosperity to people. We think more money means you got it better off. But more money means more problems, right? We think that more money is going to break us from every burden or chain that we have that holds us down. If money was the answer to everything, then we wouldn't need God. Because later on, God's going to tell us you can't serve two masters. And if money is our master and we live that way, that's the easiest way for us to show who we are. So to everybody else looking at us on the outside, if we see money, we think everything is prosperous and going on. I'll give you an example. Um, a few years ago, a guy named David Platt wrote a book. It's called uh, Radical. And I don't know if you've ever read it or anything like that, but it's a, it's a good book. I would encourage you to go and read that. Um, in the book, I, he, David gives an example <coughs> of a church, um, of a missional entity that was writing about a particular church. And on the front page was this church that had just built a $21 million facility. 21 million bucks they spent on this brand new facility. But the missional journal was touting them because they had given a few thousand dollars, a few tens of thousands of dollars to this missional endeavor. So they had given tens of thousands of dollars for the mission and the call of the gospel, but the picture showed their brand new $21 million facility. And David's point is, if we're going to be radical, this should be flip-flopped. 
We shouldn't be so much worried about what we're sitting in, about what we're doing for the, but rather what are we doing for the kingdom of God and where that money flows. You see, we wanted everybody to think that because of the outside looks so great, that all was good on the inside. If you got a brand new worship facility, right, everything's going good, huh? If we can spend that kind of money, there must be some great things that are going on in that church. That's not always the case. If we're serving God and serving him truly, God looks directly at our heart. We've got it upside down. Um, I've been a church planner for a number of years, and so I used to go to all these little events and stuff. And uh, I, I, I've served in different capacities uh, in in. Georgia Baptist life and other entities and other ways through the association and stuff like that. But I was at this uh, meeting one time. It was for young leaders. And I was right on the edge. It was everybody under 40. I think I was like 39. So uh, I was barely able to fit in. And I asked our denominational leaders at the state level this question. They asked, you know, because they send out this report. And this report every year that they send out tells you which churches give the most money and which churches baptize the most people. And that's what we call success. But I said, why don't we list the churches that send out the most people? Why don't we list the churches that send out the most people onto the mission field? Why don't we celebrate the people that are leaving the congregations here and going out into their communities or leaving out and going out into other places in our country or leaving out and going into other places in the world to share the gospel? And they were taken aback. In fact, the president of the convention said, we'll look into that. We'll see why we don't do it. They've never changed it. The only way we count is nickels and noses. and baptisms. How many people are in the seats on Sunday, your attendance, how much money's given, and how many people you baptize. But the fulfillment of the gospel is to follow it all the way through. We are missionaries, are we not? Every single one of us are called to minister to the gospel and to go out and to serve God. But God sees all of this. We can put up this facade, we can build grandeur buildings, we can house thousands of people, which is all okay if we're doing what God has called us to do. But don't do it for show. If we're doing it for show, God's going to see all that, and it says what? Justice is going to roll down and righteous like an ever-flowing stream. Giving. Is it about appreciation or is it about sacrifice? <clears throat> um, let's see I will be um, at the end of June 25 years in ministry and in 25 years I've probably been a pastor for I think 19 of, of those 25 years and so over the course of the 19 years that I've been a pastor I've had numerous people come up to me and hand me checks personally hand me checks and that's okay if you miss on a Sunday and it's a Wednesday and you want to give your check, that's fine. But on a couple of occasions, I've had people purposely come up and give me large checks and personally hand them to me. And I've thought to myself, are you giving me this large check so that it can go on the offering plate for your own benefit or did you really want me to see what you gave? 
Because sometimes we want to give things in appreciation for what we have given. We like for our personal recognition to be a part of that. God doesn't want that. God doesn't desire that. God desires for us to give. What does this passage say? We're to give in such a way that our left hand doesn't even know what our right hand is doing. It's spontaneous, possibly. It's of the heart. We're giving not because we want a tax write-off. We're giving because it's what God calls us to do. And sometimes it hurts. So we need to understand it's not even about an amount. I've heard personal testimonies about people who have given every last dime in their checking account. And God provided for them. They, they gave it and just gave it and walked out of church going, okay, God, I'm broke. And God took care of it. You, you hear the, the story about the widow's might, about how she gave it all and how she would be remembered forever for the gift in which she's given. And why we have the picture that Christ gave that to us in the Gospels so that we will always be reminded of the sacrifice of this woman. God is not looking for our appreciation. He's not looking for us. Is there anybody here that thinks that they can outgive God? Is there anybody here that doesn't realize that everything that we have has been given to us by God? So if God has given it to us, we're just a steward of it. So if we're just a steward of it, we're a manager. And if we're a manager, he's looking to how we're taking care of what we've been given by God. So writing a big check back to the church is not going to be a big deal. Writing a small check to the church can be a huge deal. Our giving is not by a number or a figure that we give. Our giving is looked at at our heart. God desires for us to be generous people, not hypocritical. Hypocritical giving is inward-based and often extravagant. Here's two examples in Scripture of gifts. Acts chapter 4, verses 36 and 37. Now, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who is also called Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated to mean son of encouragement, who owned a tract of land, sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So he sold, Barnabas sold a tract of land, and he gave all of the, all of the money from it to the apostles to the church for them. Now, this is in the early portion of when the church was expanding. A lot of different things were going on. But he sold that property and donated it all to the church. Well, now, right after that happens, listen to what it says in Acts chapter 5. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and they kept some of the price for themselves. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the price of the land? Later on, Peter would say, why didn't you just keep the land? It was better that you just held the land than to sell the land and only give back a portion. See, he was trying to keep up with Barnabas. He had done it for all the wrong reasons. Now, a lot of us would probably sit there and go, well, good grief, Tim, he gave a lot of the money. He just kept a little bit back for himself. That's not the point. 
The point is, is he owned the property. It was his. It was given to him as a steward by God. He saw Barnabas sell it and give it all. He wanted to follow and be noticed just like Barnabas. Barnabas wasn't doing it for notoriety. Barnabas was doing it because God had called him to do it. And Ananias was just trying to make a name for himself. And you see, God saw right through that. What happened to Ananias and Sapphira? They died. Instantly. God made an example out of both of them. Why? Because their giving was hypocritical. They were looking for some kind of reward. They were looking for some kind of recognition for themselves. And it didn't matter what they had given. It didn't matter the amount. It, was, it mattered at their heart, at the very core of who they are. That's what God was seeing. That's what God was looking at. So what does God desire from us? How is our giving supposed to be? What is the example for us? The example for us is charitable giving. Charitable giving is generosity-based. And it is rewarded. Luke chapter 6, verse 38 says this, Give and it will be given to you. They will pour it into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you in return. Now look, we're going to go into more detail about this in a little while when we get to chapter 7. Chapter 7 is all about standards, the, the bar that God sets for us. But right here, I just want you to see, there is no way we can outgive God. If God gives to us and we are a steward of it, then we're going to be measured by how we deal with what he gives us. If we're a poor steward, how in the world can we sit here and ask for God to give us more? Would it astonish you for me to tell you that 50% of our country, 50% of the households in our country live off 102% of their income? In other words, we are living more extravagantly than what we're earning. We are in debt. All of the Old Testament tells us about people who are slaves to those who they are indebted to. We are a slave to those we're indebted to. I owe, I owe. It's off to work, I go. You've seen the bumper sticker, hadn't you? That's the reality for half the people that are in our country that are working, is that we are overloaded. So the monies that we have in, we have to learn to live within those means. And once we're a good steward of what God's given us, that's when God will give us more. That's what this says. And then the more that God gives us and the better steward that we are of that, guess what's going to happen? More is going to be given to us. And we have this example over and over and over and over in Scripture. We have an example of men that were given talents. One was given five, one was given two, one was given one. The one with five and the one with two were honorable with what they were given. They took it and they multiplied it out and more was given to them. The one with one took it and he hid it and kept it. And what, was, what happened to that talent? It was taken away from him. Who was it given to? It was given to the one who had 10 talents already, had taken the five, turned it into five more, then God took it and gave it to him. You're going, why in the world did he get so much? Because he was faithful with what he had been given. I don't know about you, 
But I know some people within the kingdom, some people who are godly in the thoughts of, of how they deal with things financially, and everything that they touch seems to turn to gold. I'm, I'm just amazed. Everything business-wise that they get into is just, that happens. Now, I'm not touting them as perfect people. They are not perfect people. But in the stewardship of what they've been given, God looks on their heart, and I believe he smiles. And as he does that, it helps out and pours out in so many different ways to so many different other people and so many different other areas for the kingdom of God. This is what God desires from us. You see, we look at ourselves and we, we measure ourselves against everybody else. Well, the hunter's upgraded in the car, so I guess we must be paying him too much. Well, the hunter's upgraded on a car. Well, I guess it's okay for us to upgrade. If the pastor's driving a good car, then we ought to be driving a good car, right? No. Pastor's wife makes a lot of money. <laughs> Woo! That's how God has blessed me. <laughs> so that's not always the case for all of us. It's not always the case. So we have to see what we've been given and then be a steward of that which God has given us. And as we're faithful in that, then God blesses that more. How does it say that God blesses that? Does he just give a little? No. He takes off the top of the salt shaker, doesn't he? And he pours it in. Pours it in our lap until it's running over, it says. That's the blessings that we can be receiving from God if we will just be faithful with what God has given us right now. And the more faithful that we are, the more that God blesses. Okay? Now, this is not prosperity gospel here. I'm not trying to tell you. The more that you write, the bigger check you write, the better it's going to get. Are you following me? It's the complete and total opposite to this. You can write the largest check you want, and if your heart's not good in it, God's not going to bless that. You can give the smallest amount that was put in the plate today, but if it was given with the right heart and of the right reason, God's going to honor that. And that is so different from what we're preaching and teaching today. Everybody tells you the bigger the check, the more God's going to bless you. That's not what Scripture's saying right here at all. God is looking at our heart and he's looking for generosity. He's looking for us to be generous people. Over and over he tells the stories. Would you turn someone away who was coming to you and needed a place to stay or needed food? Would you give him a stone? No, you wouldn't do that. You look out after him. You take care of him. God sees that. God honors that. That is what God is looking for from us. So when we're looking at chapter 6 right here, the 56 Chevrolet that's stuck in the middle that nobody else wants to look at, we've got to see the intent and purpose of what God is trying to teach us and tell us. The first thing he says to us, big warning, don't do this stuff for show. And in today's society, he should say, don't do this stuff for dough. Don't thinking that if you do this, then I'm going to turn around and bless that. We've got to do it from the right heart and for the right reason. We've got to be managers or stewards of what God has given us. That's the totality of life. It's not just money. Don't stop this with dollars. Are you managing your time? 
Are you managing the talents in which he's given you? What about your passions? Are you more passionate about Georgia football? Ooh, back off, preacher. Than you are about your church and about God's kingdom? I know a lot of people who write big checks so that they can get good seats at a stadium over in Athens so that they can sit in the middle of all that and I wonder how God's going to look at that as far as the kingdom one day if we have to give an account of all that we've been blessed with are we going to go spend more time there than we are here I love recreational vehicles. Wish I had some. But is the boat more important than time with God? If it is and it's an idol, we're not a good steward. You see how it all works together? It's every bit of what we're talking about. When we're talking about giving, we're talking about giving it all. That's why this portion right here, this part in the middle is so important. We can't just read the beginning and then skip down to the end. We got to look at this fully as, as it is. <clears throat> I'm going to close with a story. This, we, we actually did this in our, um, one of our church plants. This is called the M6 Project. I'm going to challenge you every week with a project. So as I challenge you with a project this week, I'm not asking for you to tell me. If someone has a testimony of something that comes along later, then we're going to follow up on it the next week or so after that when they, once, once it's shared, and we'll just give God all the praise and the honor and glory for that. But I want you to think about this week financially and in your giving or physically in your giving. And I want you to... Sp- to make some kind of step in that. I want you to do something this week for somebody else. I want you to take something that you would think is very important to you and sacrificially give it. It could be your time. It could be your finances. I don't know what it is. But it's summertime. I know a lot of teachers just got out and you're going, woo, spring, it's break time. All about me, baby. (laughs) Then the preacher comes in on Sunday and goes, I got to give to somebody else. It's about the sacrifice. It's about the step of faith that we take. So I challenge you this week and who you are as a giver to be generous to somebody else in a way in which it costs you. And then see what God does with that. Because I want to tell you something. God takes that and he does amazing things. The part of this I'm going to tell you is is that when we were going through this, I don't know how this happened. I don't feel like that we were targeted by meaning for bad purposes or anything like that because I don't know where this came from but a pastor in Africa started listening to sermons from our church and he took his entire church 
in Africa through the M6 project at the same time that we were taking our church through it in Oconee County. Eventually, he ended up in our congregation and we supported his church for a number of years. We sent people down to Africa in Johannesburg, well, it's outside of Johannesburg, to do ministry there. All because of what took place in a, in a project in a church plant that ran just a little bit more people than this. You see, you never know what's going on. You never know what God's doing. You think that I'm just challenging you, but God sees much bigger than that. Pressed down, running over, coming over the sides of our lap. That's the God giver that we serve. And if we truly believe that, then we don't need to live a life worried about all kinds of things. That's where we're going to end up. Remember, the end of this chapter is, don't worry, don't be anxious. God's dealing with us up front. Are we willing to take the steps necessary to see what he can and will do in our lives? He's told us about our attitudes He's talked to us about following the law and our actions. And now he's challenging us to step up to the plate. Are we going to do it? Are we going to be the people that God calls us to be? Are we going to step out of our comfort zone and give? Next week we're going to talk about prayer. Next week we talk about fasting. Oh my gosh, we're going to talk about food. Ooh. You're going to ask me to give up a meal, aren't you? <laughs> that was one of the awesomest services we ever had. It was a Wednesday night where I asked everybody to fast and then show up on Wednesday night and we had a Wednesday night supper. <laughs> and all ate together. And then everybody told what God was doing because they were that prayerful. And prayer and fasting when put together in a combination does awesome things. Go read the New Testament. That's where Paul and Barnabas were sent out after the church at Antioch, prayed and fasted. Not the Baptist way. The Baptist way is to pray and feast. God can do it. If we are faithful and just will step out. Let's do that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you again for your word. I thank you for what you say to us in this sermon. I thank you for the challenges that come into our lives. Father, I thank you for the blessings in which you've given us and how, Father, you've so enrichly given into our lives through physically our well-being, through financially in the jobs that we have, Father, through our passions and through our talents, Father, that you've given us. I pray that we will be generous people in and all of everything that you blessed us with. Father, I'm not knocking other churches today. That's not the point of this. The point is, is that you see through all the fluff. And if we're faking it, we're not going to make it. And Father, I pray for true reality of who we are to be shown and to shine forth. Father, you see through all this junk anyway. We cannot put a facade up to you. We cannot be a hypocrite. 
Help us to live our lives in such a way that those around us might see Jesus Christ in our hearts and glorify you. These things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing. This is a time of decision. It's a time.